Well, we do want to spend just a few moments this morning together in the Word of God and just share some things. Uh, we are so excited. I said it already, I know, a bunch of times, but we really are excited for you. I want to let you know, um, we have prayed for months for this production. We've prayed that the kids would do great. We've prayed they'd remember their lines and all that stuff, of course. But what we really prayed for more than that was you who would be with us today. And we've prayed that God would work in your life in a mighty way leading up to today. We pray that he would begin to work in your heart and your mind and open up what he has for you today. And so you have been prayed for, maybe not by name, but you have been prayed for for the last three months as we've been preparing for this musical today. So thank you for being here. Uh, I know you hear that a lot, but we really do mean that. If you have a Bible with you today, and I do hope that you do, and if, if you don't, you can pick one up today before you leave. Uh, we have them available at the Welcome Center. Uh, also, uh, we have a church app that we make available to uh, anyone who wants one. You can get on your Apple Store, your Google Plus, whatever, uh, any of that stuff, any of those stores. I'm not very technologically advanced, okay, but I know it's on there. That's what I need to know, okay? Go on your phone. You can download our app. Uh, it's North Goodland, BC in your app store. You can download it. There's a Bible app on there. Uh, so however you want to get the Word of God before you today, we invite you to do that. So open up your, your Bible today to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. And uh, we're going to look at just a couple verses in the Word of God today. Uh, we are in kind of the second week of our Christmas series. Um, it's called This Changes Everything. This Changes Everything. And it's true. Christmas actually changes everything. As we're journeying to Christmas Day, I want us to discover that the coming of Christ changes everything. And so we talked last week a little bit about this. We're going to pick it up this morning. And then the next two Sundays, we're going to kind of finish this series out. And so again, if you don't have a local church that you're a part of regularly, we invite you to be a part of North Goodland over the next couple of weeks, especially this time of season. Uh, John chapter 1 and verse 1. To me, one of the most powerful verses in the Word of God and really puts in perspective this idea of Christmas. John chapter 1 and verse 1 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word, I'm sorry, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. When you look at this passage here, it's amazing truth here. When you go down to verse 14, it says, And the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us. The Word was made flesh and dwelled among us. Now, not us today, right? John is writing the Gospel of John, and he's referring to the fact that when he was on planet Earth, Christ took on flesh and dwelled among him. He was, he was in the flesh. Could you imagine just for a moment what it would be like to have Christ sitting next to you right now in church? Just to have him in the flesh, to have him dwelled in the flesh with us. One of the most beautiful names that God has given is Emmanuel, God with us. And Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago, stepped from the realms of glory and took on flesh to dwell among us. And the question we asked last week that we will answer again for just a moment and then kind of even further this morning is, why? Why would Jesus Christ do all that he did? Why would he leave the realms of glory and dwell among us? By the way, let's be honest, we don't like dwelling among us some days, right? Sometimes you don't like dwelling with yourself, right? You just, you just, you know the kind of people we can be, and yet he chose to do this. Why? Well, last week we answered the why of Christmas, 
that question, we answered with the fact that Jesus came for adoption. Jesus came for adoption. He came to grow God's family by adopting you and I into God's family. This adoption process is initiated by God and paid for with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ on the cross. All we need to do to respond to this act of adoption is merely to receive what God has offered us, to merely receive by faith the gift of grace. You see, all we do is merely respond. We didn't come for us. He came for us. And so we respond to that initiative in our lives. When we receive Christ, we are adopted into his family. We become sons and daughters of God. What a beautiful gift to go from being outside the body of Christ to being a son and a daughter of God. He has adopted us into his family if we know him as our Savior. I want to encourage all of us this Christmas season to make a decision to make a choice, to maybe transition from being an admirer of Jesus Christ to being a follower of Jesus Christ. Many of us read things that Jesus did and we've heard the teachings of Jesus and we admire Jesus Christ for who he was and what he came to do. But I want to encourage you this morning and maybe through this Christmas season to move from being a mere admirer of Jesus Christ to being a follower of Jesus Christ. To submit under his authority as your Lord and Savior because he came for you. And when you receive Christ, you become a son and daughter of God. Now you can follow Christ. You see, not only did Jesus come for adoption, but Jesus also came for demonstration. Jesus came for adoption, but he also came for demonstration. You see, Jesus came to show God's family, those of us that have been adopted by him and those that are on the outside looking in, he came to show God's family what real love is. What real love is. This morning I want to jump into our talk and discover that Jesus' coming changes everything. It changed family last week. And this morning I pray that we would know that it changes love. In our world today we see and hear many ideas of what love is and what love does. Some of us have this picture of love in our mind. Anyone here single, not married, but hope to get married one day. Raise your hand. Anyone here like that? Couple hands, couple hands, okay. How many of you, before you were married, you're married now, before you were married, you had this picture in your head of what marriage would be? Raise your hand. Okay, raise your hand. How many of you would say with a raised hand, it was exactly as you pictured it to be, no bumps in the road, no, nothing caught you off guard? Exactly. We have these pictures in our head. We think this is what love is. For some of us, it's that romantic, like, right, he comes in, sweeps you off your feet, right? This knight comes in with perfect chiseled Greek body, right? Like just this guy, okay? For the men, it's a little different, okay? When I, I remember I, I was told when I was like probably high school, early college, I was told by somebody, you know, hey, marry someone who's a spiritual fox, so spiritual fox, good looking, right? Good looking and all that beautiful, but spiritually more attractive than they are physically attractive and make sure they can cook. Those were the two things that I was looking for in a wife, a spiritual fox and can cook. And praise God, 14 years ago, I convinced some unknowing girl. No, I didn't really convince. I mean, but Sandra said yes. And I was so blessed with a spiritual fox and she can cook. Okay. But we all have these images of love in our mind. What love is and what does love look like? Is it that idea? Some of us, it's merely 
a selfish type of love. Now, we're not going to admit this out loud, but if we're being honest, you think love is, if someone loves you, it's purely determined by what they do for you. You say you love me, but you got to do this then. It's a doing conditional kind of love. You say you love me, then you better show me you love me. And if someone doesn't show you, then you have a hard time believing they love you. And it's constant. You always need to be affirmed of that. For some of us here today, if we're being really honest, you would honestly say, maybe you have people that have said they've loved you. Maybe you've experienced some degree. But if you were honest, you'd say, man, I don't know if I've ever truly been loved. I don't know if I've truly ever experienced somebody actually loving me for who I was and loving me for who I am and not just wanting something from me or wanting me to change and be something else or be someone else. Maybe for you, you're not even sure if you've ever experienced that. So in our culture today, there's a lot of ideas about what love is and what love does. And I'm so thankful that 2,000 years ago, God, in the form of Jesus Christ, Christ himself, the Son of God, showed us, demonstrated to us what love is. And then he sets forth a pattern that we can begin to, real, to live and, and live out, if you will, that love for others. So I believe that Christ demonstrates for us what love is. He shows us not just in his words, but in his actions. First John chapter 3. We're going to go back to John in just a moment. We're kind of jumping between the gospel of John, written by John the disciple. This would be James and John, their brothers. You're going to read about them through the gospels. Uh, John, we picture as a very kind of, and I'm going to use this term, kind of a hippie kind of a guy, uh, because he writes the gospel of John. And what what do most people say the gospel of John is all about? The love of God, right? Why? Because we're going to recognize the verse in just a moment. There's a verse in there that talks about the love of God. Even in 1 John, which was written by the same individual, Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Revelation, all written by the same individual. He's going to talk about love. But what I want you to realize here is while John talks a lot about love, he's not really known for love. When you read his writings, he's actually known for being very honest. He's a, he's a, he's a very black and white kind of guy. There's no gray areas with John. When you read the Gospel of John, it's life and death, light and dark, love and hate. It's always extremes. And so John is writing here in 1 John to the early church, and he's talking about the love of God. But the love of God is never just talked about among believers, or even when Christ demonstrated us. It wasn't just told to us he loves us. He lived the love that he has for us. So look at 1 John chapter 3. And I love the way the scriptures line up here. 1 John chapter 3 verse 16 And we're going to read John 3.16 in just a few minutes. So 1 John 3.16. Hereby, it means this is how we perceive what love is. Right? Because he says this. Hereby perceive we the love of God. How do we know that God has loved us? Because he laid down his life for us. Then he says, and we ought to lay down our lives. Lay down our lives. For the brethren. We're going to get to that in just a moment. You can go back to John chapter, or the Gospel of John, if you're wanting to turn back there, you can. We're going to go back to John in just a minute. But in 1 John 3, we read what real love is, what the love of God is. It tells us very clearly the love of God is not just told to us, but it's demonstrated before us. It's demonstrated before us. How do we know that God has loved us? We know God has loved us because He laid down His life for us. And by the way, we weren't worthy of him laying down his life for. We're going to get to that in just a minute. 
He loved us so much, he laid down his life for us. And he shows it to us as a demonstration so that we might do it for someone else. Not necessarily in the literal sense, but in a symbolic sense of self-sacrifice, which again, we'll get to in just a moment. So how did Jesus change love? Quickly, we've just got a few minutes left. How did Jesus change love? Well, first we have to notice that Jesus' love is different. Jesus' love is different than our love. It's different than how we love. It's different than how we think about love. Our love is different from his love. We struggle to love others that we don't get along with or agree with. Now, I'm sure none of you have experienced this. I'm speaking purely hypothetically. I'm sure nobody in this room, at church on a Sunday morning, would ever have a hard time admitting that they maybe at times sort of kind of every now and then struggle to love someone. But the reality is in our human nature, we struggle to love someone who's different than us. We struggle to love someone who thinks differently than us. We struggle to love somebody who's of a different belief system than us. We struggle to love somebody who's of a different political party than us. We struggle with that. We want to love sometimes, and sometimes we don't really even want to love the person. We struggle to love someone who doesn't smell like they probably should smell. If we're being honest. And we struggle with that. We, we look at people on the outside. We, we categorize them and we judge them and we put them in these little boxes. And, well, I can love you because you're kind of easy to love. You're nice. You're kind to me. But this person at work is really mean to me and I don't really like loving them. I don't really feel like loving them. I'm not going to love them. We struggle with that. But Jesus showed us an entirely different way to love. We often pick and choose who we are going to love. Jesus actually demonstrated to us a love for others in a way that showed us that others even ignored them. He showed us example after example of his love for someone that society or culture refused to love. We struggle with the idea of loving this way. We find it difficult to love someone and yet stand on God's word. We feel as though to love someone we have to agree and condone all they do. That if I love someone, I have to agree with every decision they make, every choice they make, every stance they take. Let me just let you in on a little secret. That's not true. You can love someone and disagree with them. You can love someone and have a different opinion than them. Now, in our our culture today, that's really not popular to say. That might not even sit well with some of us that have maybe heard. No, 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 we have to, there's this tolerance movement. But tolerance, what tolerance used to mean And I don't know where we redefine this word, but tolerance used to mean we're two human beings who see this thing differently. That's okay. I love you and respect you as a human being. I just respect you as a person. So I'm not going to be rude or mean or vicious to you. I'm not going to call you names. I'm not going to insult you. Just because we disagree, I can still love you. And by the way, if you're my neighbor and you have a need and you're of a different opinion than me and I see you out there with a flat tire, if I know the love of Christ, I better be out there helping you change that tire. I don't care what your stance on this or that is. We can have a conversation. But in our world and and day and age today, I think we have a hard time having conversations and realizing I can love and respect someone. See, Jesus went to people that other people ignored. He loved people that other people didn't have time for. Now, Jesus never condoned sin. He never condoned sin, but loved in spite of it. He called us to repentance by speaking truth and grace to us. John chapter 1, you, if you've turned back there, John chapter 1, I want to look at an amazing verse. John 1 and verse 17. 
John 1 and verse 17. So we understand that Jesus changed love. And how did he do that? Well, Jesus' love is different. And it's different because Jesus is full of grace and truth. John 1, 17. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Now, this doesn't mean that God wasn't gracious before the time of Christ. He was gracious in Genesis chapter 3. When mankind sinned, God provided grace, a way of sacrifice to have relationship. But what is John referring to here? Well, look at the wording in chapter 1, verse 17. For the law was given, given by Moses. What does that mean? Moses didn't write the law. Moses didn't come up with the commandments. God gave that to Moses, and then Moses merely what? Revealed that to the people. He chiseled it on the tablet, but he didn't come up with it himself. He merely gave the people what God had given him. It was God's idea that we should not commit adultery. It was God's idea. It was God's idea that we should not murder It was God's idea that we should make no graven images. It was God's idea that we should put him first in everything. Because here's the thing. If we were given a tablet and God said, hey, I want you to make some laws, we would not come up with those laws. Here's what we would do. We would come up with all the laws that we know we can keep and not break. That were easy for us. Some of you are sitting there thinking, well, so far I've kept all those. I've kept God first. I love God. No problem there. I've never committed adultery. I've never committed murder. I've never done those things. Do you know the same God that said those things said, don't lie? You know the same God that said those things said, don't covet your neighbor's goods? So that RV out in your neighbor's driveway that you've been looking at? That's what he's saying. But here's the point. You might think, well, then who's innocent? Who can keep the law? Nobody. Even the Pharisees, the religious leaders of Jesus' day said, well, we've not done those things. What's the greatest commandment? He said, hey, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. You ever look after a woman with lust in your heart? If you have, you've committed adultery already. That's Jesus' words. His point was this. We can't keep his law. That's why we need grace. That's why he came, to offer us forgiveness of sins. The Bible says if you've offended in one area, you've offended in all. And can I be honest for a second? I'm a pastor, been a pastor here since 2012. Been on staff here, so I was a youth pastor before that, since 2005. I can't keep his law. I can't keep those commandments. I break them. I'm not good enough. I'm not perfect. I'm not innocent. But I'm so thankful that in July of 1998, when I was 16 years old, a guy stood up and revealed to me the truth that it's not about being perfect or going to church or doing good things. It's about Jesus Christ. Do you know him as your savior? Have you received him for the forgiveness of your sins? And I went forward at Camp Chautauqua in Miamisburg, Ohio, bent a knee and said, Lord, I don't know everything about the word of God. I don't know if all of this is true, but I know that I've sinned. I know that I've broke your law. I know I'm not perfect. I want to believe, and I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I ask you to be the savior of my life. And from that moment forward, everything was different. It wasn't perfect. I still struggle. But man, he was, he's been with me. And I have a confident hope now that when I leave this world, that I will not wonder, I hope I get into heaven when I die. I hope I've done enough good to outweigh the bad. You can't do enough good to outweigh the bad. Because it doesn't work that way. Perfection is the only passing grade in God's classroom. And none of us are perfect. And so Jesus reveals to us truth of that. But look at what it says here. While law was given through Moses, grace and truth came by. He 
authored, initiated, provided. He is the origin of true grace and truth. You see, he is not a balance of grace and truth. He is the fullness of grace and truth. He is fully and 100% truth and fully 100% grace. We battle with this idea. We go all truth or all grace, and we end up not showing love in either area. We go all truth with no grace, legalism, rules, do, be better, hide the sin, just go to church and look the part. We go all grace, no truth, it's do whatever you want, it doesn't matter, live how you want, it's all good, no one cares, God will forgive you. It's this very apathetic attitude. But when we walk in a balanced understanding of full grace and full truth, then we will understand there is a tension there, and that tension defines the very love of God. John 3.16, the most likely popular verse in the world. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know what we see here? We see that tension of grace and truth. Grace God gave when he didn't have to. Belief equals eternal life because his grace is provided for the forgiveness of sins. What's the truth here? Those that choose to not believe, the Bible says, will perish. See, that's the truth. That's the tension. That's the balance. Grace he gave, he offers. Whoever comes may receive eternal life if you believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever chooses not to believe, the Bible says, not Pastor John, not a denomination, not a church, the Bible, God's word says, will perish. That perish doesn't mean from existence. That perish is an eternity of separation from God in a place called hell. Do you know Jesus preached more on hell than any other sin, any other issue? He talked about the reality of hell, not to scare people, but to present to them the truth that our sin carries a weight that plays into eternity, and that if you will receive Christ, you can be forgiven of your sin and find heaven your home for all eternity. The Apostle Paul put it this way, In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see that tension? Grace, he offered his life for us. He died for us. Truth, in that while we were yet sinners. We're all broken. We've all sinned. You see, Jesus changed love because his love is different and he's full of grace and truth. But then he calls us to love like Jesus loved. John chapter 13, go over just a couple more chapters and then we're going to be done. John chapter 13. Not only did God send Christ, Christ come to this world to demonstrate what love is and show us what his love is for us, but he says, I want you as my family, as my sons and my daughters, those that have received Christ, to love as I've loved. John chapter 13 and verse 34. He says this, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Now, this is interesting to me. He says it's a new commandment, but be real. This isn't the first time that God called us to love. God has called us to love from the beginning. God has always called his people to love one another. He says in the Old Testament that we are to love our neighbor. So what is Jesus saying here? What's What's the newness of this? Why is he saying it's a new commandment? Because it's not just, okay, go love, go love, go love, go love. 
and love and serve your neighbor, look what it actually says. He says, I give unto you that you love one another. Here's the key. As I have loved you. He's saying, listen, I've demonstrated before you, my disciples, my followers, those that know me, I've shown you practically what that looks like. So now I'm not just asking you to go do something. I'm saying, no, no, what you've seen me do, I'm going to give you the strength and the ability to go do. Is it difficult? Yes. Is it hard? Yes. Is it impossible? No. Because if it was impossible, he wouldn't ask us to do it. He asks us to do what he equips us to do. You see, we cannot demonstrate the love for others we are to have without first knowing we were loved by him, receiving him as our Savior, and secondly, without truly understanding how God loves others. You see, when I know how much God loves me, what he did for me, I've received that for myself, and now I know how much he loves you. It will motivate me to love you in a way that is God-like, is Christ-like. And I cannot do that without grace and truth. I cannot do that without grace and truth. I must give grace, but speak truth. The Apostle Paul says this way, speak truth in love. Love is kind of the airbag for truth, if you will. You know somebody that's really good at speaking truth? It's really good at telling you the truth. We all know people like this. Usually they're in management, right? Supervisors. They're really good at speaking the truth. It's got to be done by 4 o'clock today. That's truth. But when it comes out that way, it's just harsh. See, listen, we need to speak truth. We have to speak truth in love. We've got to give grace. So what are we looking at here? Well, Jesus says to love like Jesus loved. You see, God called us to love before, but God never showed us the greatest, this great a demonstration of his love before. Not only are we to follow the demonstration of Christ, we also are to realize that we are identified with Christ in our love. One more verse, John 13, verse 35. The next verse. After he says to love one another, he says this, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. Jesus said that we are seen or marked as his disciples, his followers, when we love one another. We can have a habit of telling people that we are Christian, we are churchgoers, but be unaware that it is just as important to love as Christians as it is to tell someone we're a Christian. We're really good at telling people we're Christians, but we're not always that good at allowing God to work through us to love someone as a Christian. But here's where I want to make a little bit of a point here. Because I know what happens. I've been in church a long time, and when the preacher's preaching about stuff like this, you start feeling that little weight, that burden on your shoulders. Because here's what you become aware of very quickly. Man, I know God loves me. I know he gave everything for me. But I know I don't love like I'm supposed to. I know I'm not hitting that out of the park every time. I know I'm failing in some ways in this area. And we start to feel this weight on our shoulders. And it's, it's good to feel conviction when we know we're not doing what God calls us to do. But we can't let it go to the point of guilt and shame where we beat ourselves up and tear ourselves down, and then we're no good. No, no, no. What we do is we realize, I've made some mistakes. I've failed. And that's the truth. We're not perfect. We've not gotten it right all the time. That's the truth. So I acknowledge that, and then I look for grace to pick me up and to move forward. See, we, we can't beat ourselves up about this. We have to realize that we've been loved, and we can love others. We must remember the truth is Christ loves you exactly as you are right now. He loves you right, as you right as you are right now. There's nothing you can do to make him love you anymore. He loves you just as much right now as he ever has. But also he calls you to love one another. 
So what do we do? When we fail, he gives us grace. So what do we do in our personal lives when somebody fails us? Man, we want to go to the truth, don't we? I want to unload that truth and make sure they know what they did. I'm not saying we don't have a conversation about explaining a hurt. There's nothing wrong with that. But be careful that when you're doing that and having that conversation, there's grace there. Because we've all failed. We've all fallen short. And it's funny to me, when I fail God and I go to him, the one thing I want most is grace. When others fail me and come to me in repentance, the one thing I don't want to give them is grace. So let's walk this out in our lives this week. Let's allow God to impact our lives with this this week because we need to know that God has called us to love one another. Here's an encouragement to you real quick. If you are desiring to know what it means to love as Christ loved, I want to encourage you to get into the Gospels, get into God's Word, and read the stories of how Jesus demonstrated love. The rich young ruler, the thief on the cross, the Samaritan woman at the well, Nicodemus, and so many others. I want to encourage you to go to God's word and ask him to open your eyes and to grow in Christ. What was that song we heard? We got to grow, right? We got to grow in the knowledge of the Lord. We can get saved and sit. We can get saved and go to church. We can get saved and be set for heaven. But we got a desire to grow, to know more of him, not just to know him, but to know more of him. Rather than a list of things to do, or show you, I'm not going to tell you, okay, here's how you go love somebody like Jesus. Number one, do this. Number two, do this. I'm not going to do that. I would much rather you get into God's word and allow God's Holy Spirit to open your hearts and minds to what you are called to do in your area of influence and how you can love someone as Christ loves. It can be so simple. It can cost you nothing, or it might cost you something. It might cost you time. It might cost you convenience. It might cost you a scheduling thing. Whatever it is, you allow God to speak to you in that way. But here's what I want to close with. We're going to pray. We're not going to have an invitation like normal where anyone's going to come forward or anything like that. But I want to do this. Uh, Jesus coming 2,000 years ago literally changes everything, and it changes love. And I mentioned at the very beginning that some of you here today may not even believe you've ever been loved, that anyone has ever really loved you for who you are. Let me just tell you this. And again, this is not just Pastor John talking. This is the word of God. God tells us in his word that you are loved. That he formed you and created you with purpose, and he has a love for you. And if you felt like you've never been loved, I'm here to tell you that God loves you. And he loves you just as you are. But here's the beauty of it. The truth of it is he loves you just as you are, but he loves you so much he won't let you stay just as you are. And so here's the thing I want to challenge you to. If you don't know Christ, if you've never received that love for yourself, then you can make that decision today. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads right there where you are. We're going to pray in just a moment and be dismissed. I'm just going to ask that every head bowed and every one just kind of spending a time of evaluation, just thinking on these things this morning. With nobody looking around, just out of respect for each other, I just want to ask this morning. If you're here this morning and you feel that way, you've never really been loved. Maybe you're here this morning and you would say, honestly, I don't know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I've never received Christ for myself. Then right there where you are with your heads bowed and nobody's looking around, don't worry about anyone else. This is between you and God right now. I want to ask you, would you this morning make a confession of faith? Would you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that he loves you so much that he gave his life for you? that he was buried in a borrowed tomb and rose again the third day? If you're here today and the cry of your heart is you want to know Christ, you don't need to come forward. 
You don't need to do anything, but right there in your seats, between you and God, just in the stillness of your heart, you can pray, God, I know that I'm a sinner. Just between you and God. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've done wrong. But I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you love me. And I ask that you would save me from my sins. I repent. I turn from my sins. And I trust in you. And I ask that you would save me. I ask that I would live my life for you. As you're there in your seats, if you've made that decision today, if you've received Christ as your Savior, then we would love to pray with you and pray for you. So if you would like to come talk to me after service, you can do that today. But I want to ask this. If, you, if you've just received Christ and you've asked him into your life because you believe that he loves you that much, you believe that he died for you, with nobody looking around, and I won't call you out or embarrass you, but I'd love to pray for you. So I'd love to ask, is there anyone here that would raise their hand and say, pray for me, Pastor John. I, I, want, I believe Christ is my Savior today. I've, re- I've received his forgiveness of sins. I've confessed my sins, and I believe that he died on the cross for me. I receive Christ as my Savior today. Is there anyone with nobody looking around that would raise their hand and say, pray for me, Pastor John. I made that decision today. As you're there in your seats, Maybe you'd say, God, I know I need to love as you loved. I pray that you'd give me the strength to do that. Thank you for loving me as you love. And help me to be an example of that to others. Father, we pray that as we go from this place this morning, that you would be glorified above all things. Lord, thank you for your coming 2,000 years ago. Thank you for changing everything. Our whole idea of family changes because we were on the outside looking in and through your sacrificial death, burial, and resurrection, you adopted us by faith through grace into your family. And I pray this morning, Lord, that we would know that you change love. You showed us what your love is for us, how you demonstrated that, and I pray that we would love others this way. But Lord, for those in this room right now that know that they've failed, that know they haven't loved that way, because Lord, no one's perfect, I pray you'd help them to know that there is grace to pick them up and that they would just commit to you to, to give themselves to you, fully surrender, and to love as you love. Father, we pray that in all that has been said and done, that you have been glorified, that you have been promoted, and I pray you'd change us by being in your word and being in your presence. Father, we love you, and we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for being here today. On behalf of everyone here involved with the play, the production, the church, we do appreciate it. Uh, We have evening services tonight at 6 o'clock, and so you're welcome to join us there. God bless you. Merry Christmas, and uh, have a great week. You're dismissed.